Well, hello again, and welcome to The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne, and it's a Tony Payne with a slightly restricted voice for this week's edition. I've had a cold over the last few days, and just a day or two ago, I had no voice at all, which was a kindness for everyone, I guess, but today it's back at least a little bit, so if I stick close to the microphone and don't try and speak too loudly, I might just get through speaking with you in The Painful Truth again this week. So please excuse my sort of whispering Ted Lowe impression this week, if any of you are old enough to remember whispering Ted Lowe, but that's uh, the best I can do. Now, last week on The Painful Truth, we talked about the sin of opinion, and it prompted a number of thoughtful emails and questions. And one of them from Michael Payne, no relation, asked a really good question. I guess in many ways it was the obvious question to ask. Granted that social media opinionating, in the way that I described it last time, is a bit of a folly, is there a wise alternative? And Michael put it like this. He said, surely we are called to seek justice and mercy while walking humbly with our God. And that may lead to expressing opinions to influence those we relate to and our local MPs. One example, he says, is that the Prime Minister's Christianity seems amazingly unresponsive to the asylum seekers, Australian Islamic State wives, however unwise they were, now stranded in northern Syria, and even the 10,000 Australians in India who are increasingly at risk yet cannot come home. I do hope my concerns are motivated by love for others as a child of God. They reveal themselves in my opinions. How then should I go ahead with the possible sin of opinion? In other words, Michael's asking, is there a good or wise way to share opinions or to influence others? Or in general, to contribute in a constructive way to the to and fro of democracy in our society? Or should we just pipe down and get on with doing something else more useful? Now, this is not an easy question to answer, since it involves an understanding of justice and of how Christians should be engaged in the political processes of our society. And these are not easy questions. A theory of justice and political theology and wise Christian involvement in all of these. And I'm supposed to do all of this in a breezy 15 minutes or so. Now, this is not easy. But let me try to lay some building blocks or some foundations and see how far we get. So let's think about doing justice and what that means for us as Christians in our society and what contribution we can make to that process in our culture. Well, the good foundation stone is the famous verse in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, that Michael alludes to in his letter, where the Lord tells disobedient Israel to stop seeking alternative ways to please him or to be acceptable to him and to focus on what he has already shown them is good, that is, to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, interestingly, the verse speaks of doing justice. And this tells us something very important about justice, and about our opinions for that matter. Justice is an action. It's something that is practiced or done. It's not a viewpoint as such. It's something that is put into effect when a legitimate right is honoured, that is, when someone gives or receives what is owed according to some righteous standard or law. 
Now, justice therefore requires a judgment. It requires an assessment of what is just according to that standard or right or law, and then a granting of that right to the relevant person. Now, this can be relatively simple, and it can happen in our daily lives, which is presumably why the Lord wants Israel to do justice in their everyday lives as his people. So, for example, if I sell a golf club on eBay, thereby reducing the growing stash of useless implements in the garage, the doing of justice at a personal level requires things like an accurate description of the club, a fair price, and a smooth and right exchange of golf club for cash with the poor sap who buys it. But doing justice is often much more complicated than that. What if there is a dispute between the buyer and me about the sale, about the condition of the club, for example, and whether it was described accurately? The facts of the situation in that circumstance have to be established, and they're often contested and contestable. And then a decision must be made as to which rights or standards are relevant and how they should be applied. In other words, doing justice requires investigation and thought. It involves judging. It begins with an interrogation of reality, with the careful establishing of what really happened here. And it then requires thought and deliberation as to which rights or standards are relevant to this particular situation and what putting them into effect would involve. And it concludes with a resolution to act and with the subsequent granting of what justice requires. So justice isn't easy, doing it, that is. And just to make it even more complicated, justice doesn't stand alone. It is to be practised, as Micah 6 suggests, alongside love, a loving, kind concern for others, not merely the abstract interests of right or justice. And it's practised with an ongoing recognition of our lowly status before God as we walk humbly with him. So doing justice really takes some doing. And very importantly, it's always done by a particular person or persons. It's done by those who've been given the responsibility or authority to do the judging in a particular situation. To someone who does the investigating and the deliberating and the resolving and the action. And so when I'm in aisle 12 at Woolies with the kids and a dispute breaks out... The judge in that circumstance is me, and it's a tough gig, I have to say. I mean, how on earth am I supposed to know who hit whom, who started it, what punishment or restitution would be fair, and how to administer it, all the while enduring the pitying and judgmental stares of the other shoppers in aisle 12. But it's my responsibility as the dad. I may receive input from the other shoppers in the aisle, I suppose. One of them might have seen who started it. Another may pipe in with a piece of homely or encouraging advice. But if the shoppers of aisle 12 were to gather in a circle and start a heated debate about what I could do or should do or haven't done and what these events say about the whole culture of my family, well, I think I'd just leave the kids with them and finish my shopping in peace. And then again, imagine if one of them filmed the whole thing and Instagrammed it. Before long, aisle 12 dad would be a thing, and half the world would have a view about it, 
and see my previous edition on the sin of opinion. The point is, I'm the one who has to take responsibility for the judging in aisle 12, not only because I actually know the kids and the situation and can predict actually with some certainty who started it, but because it's my responsibility and burden to do justice in this circumstance and to live with the consequences of it. Doing justice is a difficult and weighty task, and it's done by those who are in the position and have the authority to do so, whether that's domestically in aisle 12, or communally, or within a whole society. With some trepidation and with a knowledge that they will frequently get it wrong, we set aside particular people within our society and grant them authority to administer justice on our behalf, whether that's a local or a state or a federal government and the various tribunals and courts that they appoint and administer. The task of judging, of doing justice is the primary task, it seems to me, of political and judicial authority. In fact, as Romans 13 says, God puts rulers and authorities in place for this very reason, to punish the evildoer and to reward those who do what is good. And this is why, if I can come back to Michael's letter at last, Scott Morrison indeed does have the responsibility, along with the entire apparatus of government which he represents, to make judgments about asylum seekers, Islamic State wives and the repatriation of Australians from India. Along with the others in the government, he is the one who has to investigate and interrogate reality and understand the different complex factors involved, to deliberate as to which principles of justice and mercy, for that matter, apply in this circumstance to resolve upon an action and to take that action. Now, very often, our opinionating about these judgments or these governmental decisions or judgments has all the value of the shoppers in aisle 12 debating how I should discipline my kids or the Instagram crowd piling on with their intensely held views. And this is because we are mostly or wholly ignorant of the details of the situation and the various complexities that are in play. We don't have to consider, from our position of opinioniser, we don't have to consider the conflicting rights and interests of all the different parties or the wider or longer-term consequences of different options for the whole society in the decision that the government makes. And we don't have to bear the burden of having to resolve upon a course of action and to live with the consequences. The responsibility for judging, in other words, is not ours. And yet often we carry on as if it is. Or we carry on as if doing justice was a simple matter that can be settled by anyone, really, who watches a video clip or reads a newspaper article. A recent example of this was in the commentary about the George Floyd trial. I noticed that American TV host Chelsea Handler thought that the trial wasn't really necessary. She tweeted, So pathetic that there is a trial to prove that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd when there is video of him doing so. So there you have it. We have a video clip. No need for a trial to investigate the truth of what happened, to explore the circumstances, and to demonstrate 
what in fact was the reality of the case and what the appropriate principles that ought to be applied for judging it and for inflicting punishment. None of that's necessary. We've seen the video clip. We can rush to judgment and proceed straight to the punishment. Well, then where are we? We've slapped down some rough foundations about the nature of justice and the nature of judging and political authority. Justice and judging, we've seen, is something that is done. And to do it requires searching out the truth of what has happened, a thoughtful deliberation of what principles or standards apply in this case, and a resolution and responsibility to act. This is a responsibility that we undertake personally and domestically all the time and communally with each other. But at a broader social level, we elect or appoint people to fulfil this responsibility to do justice, to make judgments. And this is the key function, I would say, of political authority. But we haven't yet really answered Michael's questions. What should be our involvement as citizens, and particularly as Christian citizens, in the judgments of the political authorities? Should we express an opinion or seek to persuade the judge in some way? And if so, how? What is our role as Christian citizens within our society? Well, many of the answers to these thorny questions are in Romans 13, not all of them, but many of them. And in next week's edition, I'll tease out what they are. But in the meantime, so as not to leave you entirely hanging and entirely frustrated, we can certainly say this much. The extent of our appropriate involvement in any particular instance of doing justice to speak to it, to argue about it, to present our case to the judge. It should be directly proportional to our ability to interrogate and understand the truth of the situation and to deliberate about it thoughtfully. The further removed we are and the less we know, the less we should say. Which means that in a great many instances, we should say little or nothing. Well, this is one of those free public editions of The Painful Truth. And normally, next week's post would therefore be one of the partner-only editions, just for those who subscribe. But it would seem a bit mean, or perhaps even unjust, to leave you free listers hanging for part two of this little discussion about justice and opinion. And so I'll make next week's post a freebie as well. I look forward to speaking with you then, hopefully with a fully recovered voice, I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.